Hey, this is Dennis Terrell of Tyrell Knifeworks, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. Hey, you know, this second time's a charm, they say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope. <laughs> yeah, Dennis and I sat down, what was it, a couple weeks ago and did a recording of a podcast, and the audio is no good. So, hey, we're back at it again. Dennis, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm glad all this heat wave is over and I can get back in the shop. <laughs> yeah, man. The, uh, the, the temperatures are dropping here in Michigan. You know, today got all the way up to 70 degrees at the high. All oh, week it's like that. I, I'd be begging for that for the high. That's like <laughs> the, the low here. <laughs> oh, man. Dude. So, Dennis, you've got some really big things going on in the shop, I imagine. Do you want to talk about it? Um, yeah, I mean, by the time this airs, uh, we'll be really close to releasing the Fantasy Challenge. So that's what's occupied most of my time. The uh, Fantasy Challenge! I'm so excited for it, man. Yeah, I was starting to panic, honestly. Because, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a planner and I like to have lots of time. And uh, I'm, I'm under a month now and I didn't even have the billet, like, in billet oh form my. oh my <laughs> so, goodness dennis how are you I, how are you not freaking out 24 7 well today i just finished uh the final grinding on the blade so i've caught up nice nice <laughs> nice oh man so you've got some you know you, you've kind of shared a little bit about it you know throughout your social media and of course in the in the group chat of all the people that are part of it we've kind of shown each other what we're doing do you want to talk about your general idea of it or do you want to keep it more of a secret until what a couple days when the thing comes out oh i mean I, I, I'm, i'll talk about it now I, I don't mind so first of all since i'm not competing with you guys I, i'm feeling much less stress i gotta say um <laughs> <laughs> just being one of the judges is much less stressful so that's good right now but i i wanted this one to be yeah it's fantasy but i wanted it as a representation of the channel so there's definitely nice. a shark theme here. Oh well, yeah, so, of course. <laughs> so you'll see, you'll see. Uh, th this is the shark knife. So you're going to see some uh, some shark aspects to this knife. Now you said that you're making the billet for the Damascus. Are you doing like you know shark scales in it, or like are you doing something crazy on the Damascus pattern? Uh, there is like a fish scale Damascus. Ooh. of course of course that's awesome yeah. man i had a little setback yesterday uh because there was supposed to be like an edge bar that okay. was uh, it was a twist but it was literally two like two really thick layers twisted so you got black and silver and those are supposed to be teeth on the edge bar oh, oh so wow. there's an edge bar uh, on the cutting edge that looked like teeth but okay that separated along the seam during the heat uh, treat so no edge yeah, bar that sucks yeah that was so a, is it too late to try to add one back on or are you just going with the um the pattern that is the rest of the damascus yeah it's way too late now because it was all it was uh -oh. down to like you know a quarter inch thick there's no way i'm going to try to forge weld onto something that's a quarter inch thick <laughs> i mean if anyone could do it it's dennis tyrell though no nah, no nah, not doing it it's just longer and more a little more slender than uh, the original design. But if you didn't know what I was going for originally, you wouldn't know. So it went from like a great white shark to like a mako shark. 
Yeah. Mako? Is that a type of shark? That, <laughs> of am course. I just pulling that out of my butt? I, no, I no, that's that's a shark. That's a shark. See, I'm I'm just from you know the Great Lakes. We don't have sharks like that, so we don't really have to know the different types. <laughs> yeah, card sharks. That's all you guys have up there. The card sharks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um. Oh. Yeah. No. No sharks in the Great Lakes, as I recall. Well, you know. <laughs> Actually, so that's, Dennis, not, that's not true. Once in a while, they get bull sharks go up to St. Lawrence. So What? Really? Yeah. I didn't know about that. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah. Not of course, lakes, Dennis Tyrell, but... the shark man, knows knows the <laughs> you know where the Great Lakes are, or what types of sharks can get up in the fresh water. Well, I'm that's from crazy. that area, I remember, originally. Right, right. Yeah, I, I totally remember for sure. So let's go ahead and dive into your past a little bit. So, I mean, obviously, you didn't you didn't come out of, you know, you didn't come out first knife making, you know, this crazy level that you are currently. Um, do you want to talk about the very first knife and how you got into knife making in general? Sure. Um, so, it, like many, I'm in the, that, I call it, you know, that forged in fire generation. Started watching it on TV and thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. Thought it would be something fun I could do with my son, Parker. Um, who's at the time was like 12 and he's now 17. Um, but, nice. uh, thought it'd be something fun to do. And I didn't want to invest a lot of money at the time because I wasn't sure, you know, this was going to be something I was going to continue. So I didn't want to spend, you know, so I splurged and bought a $150 welder, stick okay. welder, and then built a forge. Cause I was like, I wanted to. You know, it, the the process of learning is, is it was as important to me as like, you know, I didn't want to just get to the making the knife. I wanted to learn to weld, build the forge, you know, start, you know, and I started with like, you know, in the blacksmithing projects, like making a leaf, making a um, fire pokers and stuff like that. And then I graduate, which I really think most people should do. Everyone wants to jump to knives, but make some of those blacksmithing projects first. Um, and then, then finally decided to, to make a knife. Well, cool. Yeah, I totally agree. You should learn how to, you know, how metal moves when it's hot and how things form together, how to make points, how to thin things out. Yeah, that's, that's totally, you know, it's, it's wise advice to, you know, say, get into blacksmithing before you try to make a sharp implement out of it. So let's talk about the very first knife that you put together. I mean, what, what was the, the idea behind it and how did it turn out? Oh, it's like all, like, well, I wouldn't say all, like most first knives, it's a turd. Um, yeah, of course. But I still use it. It's hanging on my, if, if you look at a lot of my videos, you'll see it hanging on the wall there. And uh, okay. it was Bowie-esque. Um, oh yes, okay. <laughs> it has a clip. It was it was sort of like my version of a full tang buoy, and um, oh, and you know, and it was and at the time, which I tell people not to do today, but I chose ten ninety five. He treated oh, it in geez. a forge, and um, <laughs> you know, and the grinds are terrible, you know, but like typical first knives. But I still use it to uh, trim the trees, the palm trees, and stuff in the yard. So it still retains an edge, and uh, I actually tested it on my HRC tester once I, you know, a couple of, whatever, six months ago, whatever, when I got it, and uh, it actually came out at 60 HRC, so I got, either I got wow. really lucky, 
<laughs> yeah, or... I mean, for for first first of all, for heat treating 1095 in a forge, that's super finicky. And then the first time you're ever doing it, for it to come right. out in 60 is pretty amazing. Yeah, or like I said, or I got real lucky that first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I would rather get lucky than, well, no, that's not true. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, hey, it is what it is, for sure. Yeah. So um, have you been kind of a making type of person? Did you, like, tell us about your childhood. What was it that really got you into making in general or you know what was it that was there some sort of a story in the bet in the past where you made your first thing and you just fell in love with making things geez i feel like i'm on a psychiatrist couch tell me hey, about man. Your childhood <laughs> <laughs> um i mean I, i've always it's been, your father's fault <laughs> i've always been interested in making things although my job which i'm sure we'll get into is very like you know not hands-on it's like you know software but it's visual so i'm used to visual things so i also like to do you know i was always into woodworking and like not not like ben butler woodworking but sure um you know making things and i i did like really well in you know junior high and stuff in in like shop classes and stuff like that so i guess i was a kid I, i love to make stuff and you know tool around with things Never did any metal work, though. Never did uh, any metal work back then. Okay. No. Um, What was it, like, what were some of those first projects that you, you know, kind of cut your teeth on? Was there something that you loved to make? You mean when I was a kid? Yeah. Oh, geez. What did we used to make? We used to make, you know, like kids. You you want to make stuff that, like, you know, elastic. You know, elastic band guns and uh, okay. things that shoot things. You know, like every boy wants to do. Um, sure. Bows, so bows and arrows and stuff like that. So, it was so you graduated from <laughs> you graduated from wood weapons to steel weapons is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. There you go. That's awesome. That's super cool. Um, so was let's use you kind of touched upon what your day job is. You know, let's kind of dive into the the duality of your day job, which is kind of, you know, sitting behind a computer, making things happen, and your shop time, which is kind of, I imagine, pretty much an escape for you where you can do things physically. Yeah, it is. It's a real departure. So I'm director of engineering at a software company. Um, I've been in software for, whatever, 30 years or something like that. It's scary. Yeah, something like that. Um, went to went to college for uh, computer programming, so I've always been on the UI side, so responsible for you know all the the UI components for an application. So it's always been very visual, putting things on the screen, you know, all these visual aesthetics. Like I can look at a you know a a UI and say, yeah, that that text is off by a pixel from the, like the alignment is off. Like I notice oh, wow. stuff like that. Um, so when I so for have detail. an eye for, eye for yeah. incredible detail. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. And, and I think that transfers well when you're doing designs and you're looking at lines on a knife and the, f- the flow of a knife as we call it. Um, and making sure that, you know, it, it flows well. Sure. Sure. That makes sense. Um, so is there, I mean, what is, so you have an incredible eye for detail and you're still, I mean, you are an ABS apprentice at this point, correct? 
No, or journeyman, I mean, excuse me. A journeyman. journeyman. <laughs> oh my gosh. That that is like a slap in the face. I feel like you should leave now. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> You're an ABS apprentice, right? Journeyman, journeyman. I'm so sorry. So is there a knife out? I mean, maybe maybe it is your journeyman knives, like your test set. But is there a knife that you're so incredible, pro- incredibly proud of that like your fit and finish was exactly the way you wanted and it was all the high levels that your eye can pick out? Oh, come on, man. It, it, any knife maker will tell you the best knife is the last one they did. And as soon as well, they yeah. do the next one, that will be the best. <laughs> um, honestly, I, I think we got into this last time. Like m- my journeyman set... There was a couple of them that I don't even like, <laughs> to be quite honest. Okay. Um, and, you know, if we get into that, like the, you know, I, and I've told people since, if, if you're going to do journeyman testing, when it comes down to the um, presentation knives, stick to your style. <laughs> mm. Like I, I had this thing in my head and uh, a buddy of mine, Rick um, Hall, who also tested at the same time, he's in, in Reno. We were going back and forth like, geez, we, we're not, you know, I would normally do this kind of knife, but geez, I don't know. Like you've, cause you get this, in, you get it in your head. You look at the other journeyman sets cause there's always pictures of journeyman sets, right? And it's always the same sure. kind of knives with the same style. Like it's sure. very, like they all tend to look the same. So then you get this in your head, like, well, well, maybe I have, maybe my knives have to look like those knives. And looking back now, I wish I would have just done the guards the way I normally do the the profiles you, the way I normally do so let's let's jump into that idea so where was it that you differed like I, like you said you you hyper focused on okay well I need to fit into their cookie cutter mold but you know I guess tell us tell me the differences between you know what you would normally do it versus what you did so I don't normally ever do guards that have a strict flat top, meaning mine usually taper downwards. Like if you're looking at the top of the guard, it will taper down as you get towards the fingers. Well, but a lot of the, the and maybe it's just for simplicity, but the top of the guard will be flat and the bottom of the guard will, will contour. So that's just okay. the subtleness of how people do their guards. My, so I ended up doing my guards with the flat top and that's, I don't like that style <laughs> um, and that's a personal preference and some people do, do it my way so like it's not like there's a correct way it's just what your style is and okay. I found myself like doing things I wouldn't normally do so if I would have stuck to just my regular style um, I probably would have come out with knives that I appreciated more mm. but so you you compromise your own vision and aesthetics to try to fit into what you thought they were looking for. Right. And and I've mm. told people since don't do that. It's a bad idea. Cuz it shows. Like if you if you're working on something that is not your style, it it just shows that it it's not you know. But there's two knives and in fact the funny thing is is the two knives that I that haven't sold. The only two knives in the set that I still have are the two that I like the best. Um, really? I'm sure. What two are those? The There's a buoy and a, a kind of like a recurve chopper. They're also the two most expensive ones, so that's probably like, why they haven't sold yet. <laughs> yeah. But um, just those... in case someone just in case someone is in the market, do you want to kind of put out a price point that those would go for in case someone wants to 
jump on one of them? Uh, I think they're, I don't know, I haven't looked at a while. I think they're around like 750. They're mono steel, okay. so they're not crazy. Um, but they're journeyman set knives, so they have a slightly higher price tag than, you know, you would typically expect on a mono steel knife like that. But I don't think that's an outrageous price. That is a ridiculously low price. <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> to be but. honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that they haven't sold. Somebody gr- jump on it quick. <laughs> So talk about the the process. You know, I know you said that you had made a couple of them that you weren't able to add into the set for one reason or another. Kind of kind of tell us about the the process, what you had to do, how much time you had. You know, just just tell us all about the journeyman set and what you did to make it happen. Sure. Well, just for those that aren't aware, I'll start at the beginning. So when you, you have to be in the ABS for three years, unless you've taken one of the affiliated courses. So after three years of being an apprentice, you can test um, to be a journeyman. So there's two steps to that. The first is the performance, the performance test. And that you do with a master smith. You just call one up, you schedule some time, you make a performance knife, which has some specific parameters. Um, and there's, you have to do that test with a master smith. And if there's any, if you don't know the master smith, he may ask you to forge something in front of him just to make sure you're not bringing him a knife that for, it was forged by somebody else. But, um, <laughs> could, you, could you imagine that happening where somebody buys a knife from someone else and then goes and tests with it? Oh well, my goodness. <laughs> Michael Bagnino, the master smith that I went through said, Two times in his, whatever, career, he has had um, guys that he's asked to forge something in front of him, and uh, they both failed. Oh, I was yeah. just joking. I didn't. I no. assumed that that was a far-fetched type thing. No, it's, I, I mean, <laughs> again, I, maybe they failed because, you know, they, they, they were nervous or who knows, but. Um, right. But anyway, I, I mean, I had talked to Michael like a year or so before and told him, you know, I was, it was, and he's going to look at all your work and, you know, look at your Instagram and, you know, whatever and figure. But anyway, um, so the, the performance knife, you have to go through a set of three tests the same day. So the first one is cutting um, a one. So you have to, okay, you're going to start after that. There's no, no stropping, no sharpening the knife whatsoever. Um, the first t- test is cutting a one-inch thick piece of manila rope that's free-hanging. You have to do it in one slice. You get one shot. You only get one shot. One shot. If wow. you fail, you're done. You're done. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you wow. next year. Um, that one is actually, for me, was the most stressful because that one is is a lot about technique. As long as you can right. sharpen a knife, that one is a lot about technique. So that one is believe it or not the one most people fail well i mean it makes sense you know if you if you're nervous and you don't quite swing as hard as you think you need and yeah it's all about the angle most if if people that fail they come in at too flat of an angle wow okay interesting So, so what's next so after the rope cut you have to chop through a two by four twice okay with your knife and then you have to shave your arm with it in the place that you chopped, like in is the section of the any so, Is there any sort of, you know, the wood must be this type of, could you use like balsa wood? <laughs> well, if you can find a two by four in balsa, sure. But um, 
they do say go, go find the softest wood you can find and it's like uh i think it was what is it white pine or something like i like right. i literally googled what is the softest wood <laughs> but you're pretty limited on two by fours and what you can find gotcha yeah don't, don't go don't get a two by four out of oak or anything like that you'd be there all day <laughs> um i'm gonna do it with ironwood i don't know about iron. you <laughs> right <laughs> that may, better be one hell of a heat treat um and then so so then you have to shave with it so it still has to be shaving sharp and then the last test which is the one that freaks people out the most but honestly is the one after i got through the chop and the 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 you know the hair um i honestly i was relieved because the last one you put your knife in a vise and um you have to bend it 90 degrees and it cannot snap you can have a tiny crack in it but you know, mine didn't crack at all. Um, See, that's that's the one where it's the most visually unsettling. But uh, I imagine yeah. <laughs> if you've already heat treated it and you've blue backed it, you should. I mean, you you should be in, within you know reason. You right. shouldn't really be worried about it too bad. Right. And the the reason what most people like I've seen people say, oh yeah, but I can do that with a fillet knife. Sure, yeah, but then try to cut through two by four with a fillet knife. Like, right. well, there's like, no time limit. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna sit there and whittle away at this. <laughs> yeah, but then by by the, that time, your knife's not gonna be sharp enough to shave hair. Oh, that's true. That's true. So, there's there's so, a balancing act here. So, but if you think about it, all three tests. It's not just about performance. Like, sorry, it's about performance. It's not just about heat treat. It's about edge geometry, heat treat, and sharpening, because. It's got to be thin enough to get through the rope. It's got to be sure. thick enough and have enough weight to get through the two by four. And it, it still has to be, you know, thin enough and have a perfect heat treat that you can bend it. Sure, sure. So it was a well thought out test. Tell me about your your pro- thought process and what you decided to go with with your with your journeyman set or with your journeyman bend test knife. So I. One. I, at the advice of Michael Fagnino, um, uh, he said use, and which I was surprised, I was going to use like um, 80 CRV, but he said to use 1084, which is what okay. I used. Um, any steel is fine. He, he actually forbid me to use 5160 because he said it's too easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I used 1084 and um, yeah, it was, it was fine. I know people that have used 80, a lot of people use 80 CRV2. Um, I, I think you can do it with any steel. Sure. Um, I, I imagine it's it's more about the performance of it. The blade shape doesn't really matter as long as the blade is long enough. Correct. Or can, did you have some sort of thought process on the blade shape itself? Um, mine was, it was kind of a drop point. Like a lot of people do sheep's foot because you don't need a point at all. Um, so they're doing like almost like a, a really thin competition chopper. Because um, okay. really that's all you're doing. If I can interject for just a second, I imagine that that is a bad choice because of the the bend test. You only have, what is it, two or three inches that get clamped in. And if it's just the edge portion that is the first two inches, you're going to have a very small amount of cross section that you're trying to bend. Right, yeah. Like you, you want to use the full leg. So the the blade can be no longer than ten inches, and the knife overall cannot be longer than fifteen inches. You want to use all of that length. 
Sure, but I'm talking about the portion that is being clamped into the clamp. If it's a Warncliffe or like a competition chopper style, it's going to be, you know, it, a Warncliffe, let's say, you know, it comes down to a point and it's the point is right at the very tip of it, like the, the cutting edge. So you're going to have, a, if you're thinking about the cross-sectional amount of steel that's there that you're you're putting all that stress on, it's going to be less than if you, let's say, do a drop point where you have more, you know, more material, more meat in the spine. Does that yeah, make sense, or am I just kind of you know going up the wrong, barking up the wrong tree? You're overthinking it because there's three okay. inches in the vice. <laughs> so the the by the time you put three inches in the vice, it doesn't matter if it's a drop point, a worn cliff, a clip point. That's all going to be below the vice. Okay, all right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> You're just trying to game the system. I get it. I, I'm trying. <laughs> you got to get the little edge where you can. <laughs> so, so you. How many knives did you do for your journeyman set? Because I know you had the five up there and you had a spare, but then I remember seeing a video of a slicer that didn't end up making the set. What was the deal so, with that? So so I'll, I'll back up a bit for everyone else that doesn't understand. So, so the next, so I, I said there's two parts, the performance part, then there's a presentation part. And the presentation, you have to make five knives and present them to a panel of mastersmiths at Blade. So you have to bring five knives. So a lot of people make six and, and um, the um, most mastersmiths will tell you make six or at least take a bunch to your mastersmith like before and let him pick like something like that. So sure. I, Michael lives three hours from me, so I wasn't going to go down there, um, but I had obviously taken knives and shown them to mastersmiths before that to get some feedback which you definitely should. So I had taken three knives to Blade, Texas, which is in March. Um, and yeah, it was March. Jeez, I feel, it feels like that was like a year ago. Um, it was March <laughs> this year. And um, I got every bladesmith, or every, sorry, every mastersmith I could find to review them. And two of, so there was three knives one of them I knew had issues because I kind of rushed through it in order to make it in time for Blade Texas. And uh, so, yeah, I knew they pointed out a few issues in that. That's one that I didn't end up putting in the set. I was not surprised about that. The other two, every single Mastersmith said, yes, those two would pass. So one of those knives um, was an um, integral hunter. So... What I had to, what I had done was forge weld. I didn't I didn't literally did not have any stock. It's really hard to find round stock, like 1080 round stock. It's a really hard thing to find. Um, okay. So I said, fine, I'll just forge weld the bolster area onto a piece of stock. It's all one steel. It's still mono steel, and then and that's what I used to make the integral bolster. Okay. Well. It turns out Will Stelter actually reached out to me and said, hey, um, you better read the rules. And I said, well, but it says no pattern welding. And um, but I was incorrect. And the rules actually state that no forge welding is allowed. Oh, OK. Which, OK, Michael Magnino and a bunch of other mastersmiths, including some on the panel, said that that's stupid <laughs> and <laughs> um 
they and I and I heard that there was actually an argument between a couple of the guys on the panel whether they should because I I I said fine I'm I emailed them and said look this is what I've done is this okay and I guess they I don't know if it was an argument they had a debate whether it should be allowed and it came down to yeah the letter of the law and what's in the rules okay the reason many of us think this is stupid is I could peen on a bolster right um but forge welding a bolster and then doing an integral takes much more skill <laughs> than mm. peening on a bolster and peening on a well, bo- like i could take steel and peen it on like onto the side of the knife and that is perfectly allowed yeah and and also like the the idea of the law what it's trying to get to is so that you don't bring a damascus and hide right. you know some some poor you know, exactly. scratches or whatever but this this is on the other end of things where it's like hey i just couldn't find the material we're just trying to make this happen yeah i i totally agree i i'm of course i'm a little bit biased but i come down on your side where it's like you're just trying to make it happen and it's all mono steel it's one type of steel you're not hiding anything i feel like i feel like logically that well, should fly and the thing is okay so let me tell you the guys that i showed this to like Jason Knight, Steve Schwartzer, um, oh, Bill, Bill Burke. None of these guys <laughs> could tell that this was forge welded. And all of them thought that this was mono steel. Well, that it was that it was forged from one piece of steel. Nobody could tell. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty crazy for sure. Yeah. So speaking of Jason Knight, um, we have him into the we have him joining us in the fantasy challenge as one of the judges well and well Well, i haven't i haven't heard anything from him he's never joined the slack channel so i need to reach out to him via email and say are you still doing it (laughs) (laughs) dennis we put it in the in the uh, video no 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 he's gotta be a part of it well he already he he signed on and said yes i just He's been radio silent. Okay. Well, that's that's a little concerning. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, so if he doesn't, we have one less judge. That's all. Well, you know. Well, you you have five judges, and then, you know, he was going to be the sixth man. So, you know, if things happen, it's great. If it doesn't, then we have five. It's no big Correct. deal. Yeah. Well, cool, man. So speak so that that fantasy challenge is a giant collaboration and you started that with Ailey knives you know or aaron lee over at Ailey knives um i love this this whole idea of bringing a bunch of people together getting as much eyes on knife makers as possible um you know what was it that really was the genesis of this whole giant collaboration yeah i mean we've talked about in previous podcasts that the the brainchild was Aaron's because um, yeah. he and I had done like I love competition like I thrive on sure. competition and I was the one that reached out to him originally when he and I did this little challenge um, which which did really well and like between him and I and then you know we, that's how we kind of got to be friends and then um, he reached out to me at one point and said hey I'm thinking of doing this like three-way challenge and then like a week or so went on he said yeah we should just get a whole bunch of people involved and and he was like yeah i'm gonna reach out to you know and he named off some names like you know green beetle and all these guys i'm like come on man like back then we were like like two thousand subscribers or whatever i'm like come on we're never gonna get green beetle and um 
Blackbeard and all the, you know, art of craftsmanship and all these guys on board. Like, no way. Um, but he he's persistent and uh, he reached out to everybody and yeah, he, he's the one that kicked it off. And then I was kind of the organizer behind the scenes and did all the technical stuff on pulling it all together and doing the slack and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a killer duo between the two of you because, I mean, it's gone with, you know, pretty much with – I haven't seen any sort of issue other than there's so many people that want to be a part of it. You know, we have people, like, you know, busting down the doors trying to get in on this thing. Yeah, we <laughs> – as you're well aware, we, we had a – um a little for everyone else we had a little uh i won't say it was an issue we had some debates uh, after the last challenge on how we were going to run this one because we had more people than we had i felt like we had slots yeah because you know my feeling is when you start to get too many too many challenge sorry um, um competitors too many people in it the viewers won't necessarily watch every build. That's what I was concerned about. And I really want everyone to watch all the builds and make a fair, you know, hey, if you you just watch your favorite five YouTubers and vote among them, but you don't watch the other ones, hey, maybe there's like a rising star and you didn't know. So we we wanted to not explode this up into like the 30 channels and, you know, (laughs) It takes 100 knife makers all making. <laughs> right. Because like, as it is, I spend hours just watching all the videos on the first yeah. day. And, um, you know, it, take, it takes a lot of time. Like it took me two days to watch all the videos. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we, we, we wanted to, you know, focus it. So we had to actually exclude a couple of channels that were in previous ones. And then we created this... Um, judges tier uh so that for a couple reasons i mean the other reasons we can go into on on judging but um but uh so what it did was allow more channels in the base competition and now once you not only if you win or you place really well in the main challenge you get to be a judge in the next one so nice we thought that was a cool little spin and the judges, I imagine, once you're a judge, you have to sit at least one out, or how's that going? So what happens is, um, so once you're once you're a judge, you're only competing against the judges to do a build, and they they'll compete against the judges. The top judge will move on, so he will remain a judge for the next challenge, and the other four go back down into the um, uh, into the, the fray, into the fray, into the competitors round. <laughs> Because another four judges will move up. See, the the reason why I ask is because I am one hundred percent gonna be in the top of the top and win it all, and you know I'll be I'll oh. expect to be a judge next time around for sure. Oh, hearing <laughs> I gotta tell you, hearing the shit talk go on between you and Mister House, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is gold. Because <laughs> see, what's crazy is I'm not normally a shit talker, so I'm, I'm like trying oh. to amp it up. <laughs> no, it, it was Brian House kicked it off, uh, and he was the one. He was talking all big, so I'm anxious to see because he's been pretty tight-lipped about what he's making. Yeah, I can't get like even privately. He won't tell me what he's doing. He's he must have, either he has something crazy or he's scrambling. <laughs> I don't know how he's had time with all this Apollo 
Forge stuff yeah, and everything Forge else that's and... going on. I bet you he hasn't yeah. started yet. <laughs> no, I know. I know. He said he sent me a picture of a piece of like a big block of Damascus just forged or welded together, sitting in some kerosene. So nice. you know, it's it's it started. Who knows how long it might still be sitting in the kerosene as we're talking today. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe he maybe he's giving that forge a real test and doing some Damascus in it. That'd be cool. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. Of course, that's gonna happen because it's the Apollo Forge. Of course. Right. You know, of he's got to show that thing off. Uh, of course you, you know that's going to be in the video <laughs> <laughs> so let's so with this um the fantasy challenge you're doing a shark knife which is based off of your logo why in the hell do you have a shark in your logo there has to be some sort of a backstory to that yeah so uh when i was you know i was trying to figure out what i you know i when I started the channel, I figured, well, I better do some branding. I better think about what I wanted to do. And uh, I've always been, so I've been a scuba diver for, I can't tell you how long, 25 years or something like that. And uh, I'm a scuba instructor as well. And I've been in the water with many kinds of sharks, including the one in oh my, my logo. Goodness. Um, oh, <laughs> you've been in the water with a great white. Um, so I, I've, I used to crew a boat in like pure hobby, part-time fun stuff on weekends that would do, uh, cage diving at the Farallon Islands, which is like 30 miles out the Golden Gate here. Okay. And, um, so the, the cage is 12 feet wide and the instructors okay. would sit on top of the cage and help customers in and out of the cage. And the cage okay. doesn't submerge, right? It stays at the surface. Okay. Um, so we would, we're literally just sitting on top of the cage, helping people in and out. Well, when the customers are done, cause the water's like 49 degrees. Um, oh, so <laughs> they get cold. Uh, so the instructors get to go in. Well, I've been in the cage before when a 17 foot great white came broadside right up to the, the cage. And I know oh it was 17 God. foot because the cage is only 12 and it was hanging off either side. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> you're giving me the heebie-jeebies because first of all i don't like open water i don't like deep water and just the thought because like you know i've been in lake michigan or you know the great lakes here where it's like hey you you, you know fall off the jet ski and you're swimming and you're trying to get up but like there's nothing in the water that can hurt you so <laughs> just to imagine being a what is it probably a half inch bar is you know oh not these, even these cage Okay, a quarter inch. No, there's no way that they're all the way that thin. But, you know, these cages are the only thing between you and a great white shark is just like, oh, my gosh, antithetical to who I am as a person. <laughs> so l let me tell you, the cage is not there um, to protect you. It's to protect the sharks from you is right. what you're saying. It, it is. The, if, a, if a shark wanted to get through that cage, the shark can mangle that cage. Oh my God! Don't tell me that, Dennis. Come on. But the thing is, the sharks are not—they're—they're they're not. They eat pinnipeds. They eat seals. They are not interested in like expending energy and risking their lives for nothing, right? They're not stupid animals. They're not going to come out, come into the cage. The reason why people get attacked by sharks is ninety-nine percent of the time is mistaken identity. Sure swimming along the the top of the water and you look like a seal from below exactly 
Now, yeah, would I go swimming around the boat in the Farallons? Absolutely no. not. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Like, when you're sitting in the cage, that's the last thing on your mind. Like, the, the cage, the, the bars look like almost like paper mache, I imagine. Well, I mean... The, the when when we're in the in the cage the instructor we got our heads through the bars like we're just trying to get a good look like we don't give a crap about the cage okay. um in fact the last dive of the season the instructors would get in the cage on scuba meaning with tanks instead of because normally it's just like it's on like a rag on a hose but okay. now we get in with tanks and then we open the door in the back of the cage and we actually scuba dive down oh my Come on, get out of here. I'm serious. And, and that's the only time you hear that Jaws theme in the back of your head. Because <laughs> visibility in the water is about 20 feet. So you oh can only my, see about 20 come feet. Come on. I'm, and the I'm, shark I'm, is 17 foot long. <laughs> they get up to 19 and 20 feet there. Get out of here. Oh, so, my. Dennis, we're... Were you like a, a thrill seeker as a kid or something? No, nah, you just get a little complacent. Like it's just, Ugh. it's like these guys that you know that see bears in the wild, and it's when you just get used to it. Oh my gosh! So I imagine doing this high, you know, it's it's as much as you got complacent. It's still a high risk job. Is there yeah. is there something that was like, oh my gosh, I could have died in that situation? There has to be some close calls there. So not for me. But I know the an instructor friend of mine who, um, she's the one that got me into it, got me on the crew. And uh, at one point, she she's like 110 pounds, like maybe 120, whatever. She's really tiny. And she's okay. sitting on the cage helping someone out. And they had a shark, which doesn't normally happen at the Farallons. But they had a shark breach, which means come up right out of the water, like Discovery Channel stuff, right? And... That shark is about 1,500 pounds, 2,000 right. pounds. Okay. Okay. If it would have, it breached four feet from her. <gasps> so oh it wasn't. Oh, God. The issue was if that shark would have landed on the cage, it would have crushed her and killed her. <laughs> Nothing about eating her. It was just. <laughs> 15... I can only imagine being a shark instructor and having. Like dying from a being crushed, not from being bitten. Right. Oh my so, God. That's what the, the only close call that uh, <laughs> that I've seen. Shark. I mean, I've seen I've seen a lot of close calls diving, but not 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 doing the shark thing. That's that's. Well, let's talk about it. Let's let's talk about some of these close calls diving. This is a fun topic. I'm loving this. Oh, the the most. You ask any instructor, the most dangerous thing in the ocean is. A rookie diver. Oh, okay. Because they panic up and they want to exactly. drive you with them. Exactly. And oh. if you're if you've been an instructor for any kind of time, you will encounter someone who wants to shoot, meaning they're at the bottom and all of a sudden the panic sets in and they decide they don't want to be there. Mm. And they take the reg off, they take their mask off and they want to shoot <gasps> to the surface. Mm. And uh, which you can't that do is, because of pressures, right? That's extremely dangerous, and uh, and your job as an instructor is to slow them down, and they think you are the devil because you are trying to drown them at that point. But all you're doing is you're trying to slow them down. They're still going to the surface, but not at the pace that's going to hurt them. Mm. 
So. Because for those of you who are like me, have never do you know have never did any sort of you know deep sea diving or diving in general. Once you get down so far, you know the the pressure of the water above you. I guess you can explain this a hell of a lot better. Why am I trying so, to explain this? So it's not the the issue is not the pressure of the water. The issue is. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll give you a, a ninth grade science lesson um, on, on uh, Boyle's Law. So if you were to take a balloon full of air down from, in salt water, down from the surface down to 33 feet, it would be half its volume. Okay. okay. So that means if at 33 feet, if you took a full lung full of air, okay, of compressed air, breathing out of a tank, okay, you're going to, you get a full lung full of air. But the problem is that air is compressed two times okay. so if you were to hold your breath and swim to the surface that your air lungs are going to explode are going to explode <gasps> oh and you can get so the bends you can get decompression sickness you can get an air embolism like all kinds of bad things can happen to you okay i'm hearing all of those other things i don't know what each of them mean but i was <laughs> gonna say if you just if you're sitting at the bottom and breathe out and then shoot to the top you know, your air, there's no air in your lungs. You shouldn't explode, right? Exactly. And this is, but if someone's panicking, they they're, are they're holding their breath that. and they're going up as fast as they can. Mm. So, okay. in fact, and, and some, sometimes if someone's holding their breath, like <laughs> this sounds funny, but sometimes you punch them in the stomach. Which I imagine, again, puts those horns right back on your head. Right. Now, <laughs> My instructor's oh, punching me in the stomach trying to drown me yeah. when I'm yeah. panicking. Again, this is not like typical thing, like all you patty instructors don't send me hate mail. But um, I have seen it happen where someone, you know, is holding their breath so much, the instructor feels that they need to do something or there's going to be an injury. Okay. Wow. That that is absolutely amazing. That is but, an entirely different world than I would have ever thought of. Sorry, you said but what were you going to yeah, say? So, it, just for everyone else, it, scuba diving is an extremely safe sport. We're talking about the <laughs> one in a million kind of thing where people are panicking and just doing their own thing. If you get the right training, it is one of the safest sports in the world. So, it's kind of like skydiving and bungee jumping. It's actually safer than driving your car down the road. But, you know, well, here's okay. I'm not a bungee. My issue with bungee jumping and skydiving is if there's a mechanical failure, okay, you're fucked. <laughs> like, sure. Like, um, yeah. at least with scuba diving, if there's a mechanical failure, you can you can you cope with it. Okay. Right. You can okay. still you do when you take the excuse me the training. You will learn how to do an emergency ascent. You will learn all the. I don't know what you do if your chute malfunctions. I mean, I guess you have a backup chute, but what if that malfunctions? I mean, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> yeah. you have no alternative. Like if the bungee, bungee breaks and you're plummeting towards the ground, <laughs> what you're do you done, do? You're done, right? You're done. You're done. <laughs> so I'd say scuba is yeah. safer than those. <laughs> sure, sure. But, you know, if you look at, you know, people who die per, you know, attempt – driving your car to work every day is actually more dangerous than doing either of those things or i guess the, all three the stat we use as uh, uh as scuba divers is uh bowling is 
10, no, is it like 100 times, you're 100 times more likely to get injured bowling than you are scuba diving. Sure. And that's just that's just made for people like me who are already freaked out. Right. You know, that that stat is just trying to calm the Brian Cones of the world. Oh, my wife is the same way. She she wants okay. no part of scuba diving. <laughs> okay, so there, there's there's at least one sane person in that household is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, she may be insane for other reasons, but <laughs> <laughs> Hey, no, she's not here to defend herself. Come on now. Well, insane in a good way. All right, so here's a transition. Speaking of wife, there's something that we did together that, as we're speaking, is about to come out this upcoming Sunday, but as you guys are hearing, happened a couple weeks ago. We did a collaboration, and it was one of the most nerve-wracking things I've ever done. So what what was it that... <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> to set it up a little bit, Dennis and I did a collaboration where... Basically, he made this knife. He made the steel. He he put the whole thing together, and he sent it over to me. It was heat treated. The bevels were started. I finished the bevels, did the etching, all of the crazy hand sanding, you know, multiple times. Don't want to get into it. <laughs> and then um, I put on the handles, and, you know, we were able to sell it. And the whole idea was it was to raise funds for the ring on M to get a, an engagement ring for my girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, Emily. And uh, yeah, it's it happened, Dennis. I just want to thank you so much for making this happen. Hey, I was yeah. You, you skipped over some parts where it, the genesis of this, when you know we talked at Blade, uh, we talked about it doing a collab a while ago, and then at Blade we talked a little more, and you know you're doing a ring, and then I said, hey, why don't we just do a collab, and the proceeds, like the knife that we make together, you sell for the ring. And, uh, and that kind of gave me some inspiration. I'm like, oh, I can work that into the video and it'll be fun. And there's some fun stuff in the intro um, about what it's for. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun one to do. It was amazing. Like, first of all, it is some of the most amazing steel I've ever worked with. Go ahead and tell me, tell me about what I already know about the steel that you put together. <laughs> so it was... Um, it's I gotta remember what it was now. <laughs> it's a twist Damascus core with copper, uh, twenty thousandth of copper, and then 50, I think it was fifteen and twenty, right? Uh, yeah, 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 fifteen and twenty cladding um, in a full tang construction, and uh, kind of like a hunting knife, but it's pretty big. It's pretty. What was it like a? It's like a seven inch blade or something like that. Um, I wish I could measure it, but, you know, to, to kind of ruin the ending here, it sold. So, you know, the, the ring was purchased. And actually, fun fact, um, we recorded the, the podcast earlier today. And about halfway through the podcast, I got the notification on my phone that the ring is shipped. So it nice. is on the way to me right now as I speak. Nice. So. I haven't seen your video. You've seen mine, but I haven't seen yours yet. So I'm anxious well, here's to a see here's the thing so kyle i i have the video is done it's edited and it's all it's all put together and then kyle sent that to me so that i could put some voiceovers so then i sent my audio file back to kyle so that he could add that so supposedly right now he's adding that and doing some final touches that i pointed out and uh hopefully here in the next couple of days i'll be able to show you and then on sunday it's going to be the premiere yeah i'm excited but but again, all you people who are listening, this has been out for a couple weeks. <laughs> right. 
Right. <laughs> oh, goofy. Yeah. Well, it was fun yeah. to build. Um, it was fun to do, and it's fun to work with you. And uh, yeah, that was. It, it, it was. Ep- Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and it had a great outcome. So that's it's all good. Yeah, and you know everything turned out positive. You know, it, it sold for the exact amount of money that the ring I've been saving up for was. So it worked out perfect. But on my end, it was absolutely nerve-wracking because, you know, yes, I've been making knives for a while, but I don't make at the level of Dennis Tyrell. Like, oh, there's a on. level of fit. No, don't even bullshit me. <laughs> look at some of your knives and then look at my knives. They're not on the same level. Let's let's just be brutally honest here. But so it was it was crazy on my end because it's a direct comparison of, you know, your knife, your knife style, your steel – you put your hands on this blade and then I have to finish it. And I, I mean, I did hand sanding for literally 10 and a half hours because I did five and a half hours, etched it, etch went terribly, re hand sanded it, etch went terribly again. (laughs) You did it three. How many times did you hand sand that blade? I hand sanded it three separate times. And every single time I went back down to 220 and worked my way back up to 1200 grit. Yeah, it's a sixteenth of an inch thick now. That's what that's. <laughs> well, no. So you know, luckily, I, the first time I did it, we did lose you know a considerable amount of you know not not a considerable. It was a thick blade to begin with, but I I did notice that this thing feels a little bit thinner than what it was. But after that, I took light passes, and I think if I would have taken just a little bit more of a heavy heavy you know hand sand through the the second time. I would have come out with a much better etch, but hey, you know, you live and learn. Yeah. So next time we'll do the opposite. You you make the steel and then I'll make the blade. <laughs> oh, great! With my you know no four you know no heat pre- or the power press or rolling mill or any of that fun stuff. Yeah. I'll just send you some fifteen and twenty. How about that? Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did just recently with the fantasy challenge, I made my first billet of Damascus. Right. And of course, when you make your first Damascus, you gotta make a giant sword out of it. Um, yeah. So I do have that urge in my stomach, like the the need. Now that I've made Damascus for the first time, I want to dive into it so badly. <laughs> so when 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 are the parts for the press coming? Oh God, I can hardly afford an engagement ring. I just got over that, you know, financial hurdle. Come on now. You should you should start um, like start amassing the pieces. That's what I suggest. Like you know get. In, invest in a, find, start looking and find a cylinder and then okay. you know just start getting the pieces like honestly building one it's an easy build wait do you know how to weld i don't i forget <laughs> so actually the first so when i was making my damascus i did my first weld and um the guy who i was working with was really nice he he weld he's really good and all that fun stuff he he did the welding to put the steel together but he let me be touch a welder for the first time by, you know, welding on the rebar to the side of it. Uh, okay, step one, he, buy a welder. <laughs> yes, step one, buy a welder. But then, you know, what was funny is that, you know, after I welded it, he said, oh, oh, I forgot this thing. Go grab it out of the other room. And Kyle told me that once I left, he went over my welds a second time. So they must have been absolute shit. But he told me that they were good. He was like, oh, wow, I'm super impressed for a first weld that looks really good. Oh, by the way, could you go grab me the whatever? And then fixed it. <laughs> That's a good trick. I, I, I got to remember that one. Yeah, well, you know. 
it was a little humbling once because I felt like, you know, all the way through it, I felt, oh my gosh, I did great. And then Kyle told me on the ride home. <laughs> but that that's uh, so, what you, you, you should pick up like a, like a, like a flux core MIG welder and um, you can get those for 200 bucks. Get one of yeah, those. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I can just throw another thing in my tiny itty bitty shed. <laughs> Um, so you advocate for building your press, not buying a press is what it sounds like. Well, I mean, if you have unlimited funds, sure, go, go buy one. But it's just, I always feel like it is a learning experience. You're going to learn a lot. You certainly can build one for a fraction of the price that you would buy one. And there's, okay. there's great presses out there. I mean, if you, if, you know, if you, if you don't, if you have the money and you don't have the time, sure, buy one. But um, I built my 30 ton press for about 1400 bucks. Oh, right. Uh, That's not too bad. No. Um, tell us, I mean, do you have a YouTube video building it or did you do it before you got into YouTube? Um, some, as you're probably well aware, sometimes when you're making something and you're kind of, I wouldn't say flying by the seat of your pants, but you're making stuff up as you go along. You don't really want to video it because... <laughs> Like, well, literally, because you don't know what you're videoing. Like, um, so the, the, the press was one of those. And actually, okay. I did make the press before I um, made the channel. So um, I've done overview videos on it um, just to go over every single part. And this is what I did. And this is why. So I, I just did one of those videos a couple of months ago on the gotcha. press. Well, it is true that when you are videoing something, it always takes four times longer than, you know, what you would if you were just to do it yourself or do it without a camera. Yeah. But, and, you know, no, go ahead. And the hardest videos are the ones where you don't know the sequence. <laughs> <laughs> like, if they are. They're the hardest ones to video because it's not like you can say, okay, and now we're going to do this. And now we're going to do, like, you just have a, you end up with, like, 10 hours of video that you got to edit because you didn't really like you're just videoing everything in the shop um for that time period because you don't know what you're going to use which i hate doing See, i feel like that has been my experience with every single one of these fantasy challenge builds because all the way through it it was the first time i made a bowie knife so i i had never you know done a you know the 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 guard before i've never had to slot a tang hole i've never had to you know make a hidden tang knife before i i had never done it and then i got to the dagger challenge it was the first time ever doing a four beveled knife i had never made a dagger or you know the you know that that style at all so every single time and now i'm doing i'm making damascus for the t first time and i'm making a sword for the first time it's like every single time you know you would think if you're smart, you do something that you're good at so that you can really show off, you know, the best of what you can do. I don't but, know. Am I a masochist or something? What the hell? <laughs> but I honestly, I love to hear that because that means you're pushing yourself. You're getting outside your comfort zone. And that's what the, you know, besides, you know, getting new makers, you know, you new YouTube channels out there. That's what these challenges are about is about pushing yourself and doing something you wouldn't normally do. Sure, sure. So speaking of pushing yourself and doing something you wouldn't normally do, what do you have on the horizon? What is some crazy challenge that you've, you have maybe here in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, or maybe even a year out? What is the thing that you have a goal to do someday? Like, is there a certain type of steel that you need to work with or what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, pat like for me, 
so I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what's coming up on for me on the channel. So I did this beginner beginner series. Um, you know, I did that last year, which was very successful. People love that series. I just finished that intermediate series where I, you know, hand hammered Damascus, twist Damascus and took people through a little more intermediate knife. Mm -hmm. So I'm about to start. And this is a good kickoff to that. In fact, my this week's Triple T video is going to kick it off, but I'm starting, I wouldn't call it my advanced series, but this is my Damascus the, pattern series. So we're going to go the master deep. series. We're going to go deep into Damascus patterns and we'll start with the simpler patterns, but it's not going to be just like, oh, okay, we're going to make Damascus like all sped up in five minutes. We're going to go like, what are the do's and don'ts on Ladder Damascus, Raindrop Damascus. So every week, and I mean, you know, they might be, we might not do a new pattern every week just for time reasons, but, and then we'll get into the really complicated ones like the mosaics and things like that. So, so that's the, the Damascus pattern series that, uh, that I'm starting. That'll be my, part of my triple T's. And I just announced a week or two weeks ago that I'm actually offering in-person Damascus classes. Whoa! Okay, well, I'm I'm gonna buy a ticket. I need to get out of there. <laughs> you you don't you you have a free pass. You come out here, we'll make some Damascus. Damn, um, that's well. Now I have to take you up on that offer. I just need to figure out the plane ticket. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you you have a place to stay. You you and Emily come and Aww. visit, and uh, you will will definitely put you up. But. But the, the Damascus courses are, um, you know, basically I've said there's three courses. You can do mosaic, you can do feather, or you can do the copper Damascus, um, like gotcha. the copper layering. And it's a weekend course. It's one-on-one -on -one, um, with me wow. for a weekend, and you leave with, you know, a Damascus billet. Hopefully, if we don't screw stuff up, but <laughs> you'll leave <laughs> with uh, a Damascus billet of what, of what you built, plus, you know, the the knowledge and, and all the fun we had over the weekend. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, if, if, if you are offering that, that is going to be a huge thing for a lot of people to be able to pick your mind on things, uh, learn how to do it. That's, that's so incredible that you're, you're offering that level of one-on-one, -on -one, you know, class time. That's, that's really cool. Dennis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we would, have a couple of beers and uh, <laughs> have some fun at the same time. Well, uh, well, well. Wh whoever it is is here. We all, I already have one person signed up in December, so that'll be the first run. So, nice. Uh, yeah, it should nice. be fun. So, what what is a project that I I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit with your gold buy that you know may I I don't want to like you know I want to tell have you tell the story with the gold buy. Because I know I know we talked about it on the first recording that failed, so I want to hear that story because it is one a crazy story and there's highs and lows and tell us all about that that project. Yeah. So when we were doing the dagger challenge, um, I wanted to make my dagger because everyone knows I do the copper constructions. I wanted to do one that was gold because everyone kept asking me and a lot of people asked me in comments, could you do it with silver? Could you do it with gold? So I tried it with 10 karat gold. Okay. And folks, that much 10 karat gold is $2,000. $2,000 yeah. of gold in that steel. Right. Oh so my God. It didn't work. 
um, for a, oh no <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I actually I actually had that blade at at, um, at blade show uh, there was some D lambs there was some issues but the mistake I made was that um, ten karat gold so. 24 karat gold, pure gold, has a melting point of 1950 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, you would so think high, right. pretty high. 1900 is higher than most heat treats. So I mean, Correct. that makes sense. You should Correct. be good. So you would think if you mix gold with something like copper, which has an even higher melting point, because the 10 karat gold is mixed, is gold plus nickel and, uh, and, and copper, both of which have a higher melting point than gold. You would think, <laughs> I would think that the melting tip point would still be relatively high, but the right. melting high point melting of, high plus high plus high should be right, high, right? Right. But ten karat gold has a melting point of around um, sixteen hundred degrees. Oh, jeez. So I was forging because uh, when I was doing when I layered the billet, I was. Whatever I had to do it in the heat treating oven to make sure that it didn't spike in the forge and da da da. Anyway, it was. I thought I had it done. Um, I thought I had it welded. Literally, I did have it welded. I even posted on our Slack channel. I was kind of bragging, like, "Look at this!" And then <laughs> I took it to the surface grinder, did like four or five passes on the surface grinder, and it split down the gold. Oh. So then I did, you know, I'm like, screw it. I clamped it back together and re-welded it. But the problem is where it had pulled apart, the gold had kind of pulled pulled off. But And then when I stuck it back together, it didn't, you know, you could see that there was gaps. So, but the second time I got it to, to weld, and it was solid. Okay. But okay. again, it had these little issues and D-lambs and, and stuff in Pockets. it. Pockets. Right. Yeah. So... I'm confident this would work with 24 karat gold. So, so if if 10 karat gold was 2,000, how much is 24 karat gold gonna be? It's gonna be about 5,200 dollars. Oh my Dennis, come on! And this but, is still an experiment. Like, yes, you it should work, but like it's still an experiment. Right, but I have a Patreon member who is going to front the money for the gold. <gasps> And he wants the knife. And okay. it has to be a chef knife. Okay. So I'm trying to convince him to make it like a, you know, a, like a, some kind of, a little, a little more interesting than just uh, like a typical chef knife. I want to have it, you know, <laughs> I, I want to make it a little more off. interesting. <laughs> I but, want a Wustoff, but gold! <laughs> <laughs> So that build will be coming up, but that one okay. is after the one I'm working on right now is because I've been doing it at the same time as the 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 fantasy challenge is um, a Damascus Viking spear. Okay, which is interesting because I've never made a spear before. So this one is uh, it's 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 really turning me on because it's a really cool Damascus pattern that I've never done. Man, I, I want to just finish out the gold conversation with, um, you know, you, you had the, the 10, you had the 10 carat, you had a, I mean, I saw it at Blade Show. It is a massive piece of steel. You didn't think that there was anything inside, like, was there a paring knife worth of, you know, all welded together steel that you could have, no. you know, like, made happen? Like, when when the two have separated, um, 
it, it really pulled the like it almost like it flaked the gold off in sections and when it came back uh, together there's pl- there's all kinds of like every half inch there's a place where the gold is missing because it pulled off so mm. it just it wouldn't it was, certainly wasn't up to anything i would ever sell it is now a relic that you can put up on the wall it will go on my table at blade as a conversation piece uh, for <laughs> quite a while that's good. So talking about this, the spear that you're doing, you know, what's the challenges with the spear? Um, well, it is, it's the socket is the biggest challenge. The, the plate, the piece that goes over the wood, the cone kind of thing. So that's going to be a challenge. I'm going to forge weld the socket onto the blade. So that's, you know, I, I got to figure out how I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to cheat and I'm actually going to do the socket on the lathe. Um, because I don't feel like folding it over and forge welding it, like forge sure. welding the cone to itself, kind of thing. But um, but that one is going to be a feather, so it's a feather pattern center, and mm-hmm. then it's going to be where you it's going to have ten eighty on either side, and then you put little scallops, opposing scallops, and then when you forge weld that, then you you get this wavy feather down okay. the spear. And then I'm de- debating whether I'm going to do edge bars. Edge, I have a bad taste in my mouth with edge bars right now. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I can't imagine why. Come on now. But the tricky part about doing an edge bar on something like that is you have to forge it to shape perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Because it's got an edge bar, and if you can't, you can't grind off part of your edge bar. So it just makes it way more challenging. Um, so I'll see what I find, what I'm going to do. See, I feel like a challenge like that you should do on something that you're comfortable with a few times just so that you, like, you know, yeah. I you know you can do it. You have the swagger to you where it's like, oh, well, you know, another edge bar. Who, who cares, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I may not do the edge bar, but I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see that. It's got a it's got a name I forget like the we I call, <laughs> I was called the wavy feather but I, it there is actually a name for it but I don't remember. But yeah, Dennis, I really appreciate you joining me on the podcast. We did a solid hour and ten minutes. Man, I I always really appreciate every conversation I have with you. I really appreciate this collaboration. You know, both the fantasy challenge you allowed me in and the you know collaboration that got the ring going. Man, you are just one hell of a guy. And where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on TyrellKnifeworks.com is the website. And if you just go to uh, YouTube and you uh, type Tyrell Knifeworks, you will find me there. Sweet. Yeah, definitely go and support this guy. Give him a like and a follow if you haven't already. I don't know who is listening to this that isn't already following Dennis Tyrell. There can't be too many of them out there. But yeah, Dennis, I really appreciate you. Everybody, I hope you have a fantastic working week. I'm Brian Cohn with Den- the one and only Dennis Tyrell. Thanks, man. It's Work been for a- it, guys. <laughs> it's been Sorry, great. I'm looking forward to seeing your collab video. Yeah, man, it'll be fun. All right, see you guys. All right, bye.